And uh, we're actually going to be talking about this morning the importance of recovering biblical manhood and fatherhood. And so for that, I'm going to ask that you open up your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to read verses 21 and on. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21 and on. And here's what the word of the Lord says. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Chapter 6, verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, this is the first commandment with the promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. I'm going to ask that wherever you are that you would bow your head with me and let's pray. Father, we come before you asking that you would open our eyes to see what your word is teaching us this morning, that you would soften our hearts to receive what your word is teaching us this morning, and that you would enhance our minds to perceive and understand and live out what your word intends to teach us this morning. Holy Spirit, lead us in our time together. In your name we pray, amen and amen. The passage that I just read Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21 to chapter 6, verse 4, is a key passage in our time, but make no mistake about it. It preaches contradictory to everything that our culture teaches today about manhood and fatherhood. See, in our day, manhood and fatherhood are under attack. There is a stream in our culture that says if men do not feel like men, they have the right to biologically change their chemical makeup into something else or they can identify themselves into, as something, into something else or as something else. And, and this has affected what it means to be a man in our generation. So we have boys that are afraid of responsibility as men. We have boys who refuse to grow up, and even though they hit puberty, and the body begins to change, and the voice begins to deepen, they are still boys in mind 
and responsibility, wasting their manhood away in TikTok videos and video games and refusing to embrace responsibility. But manhood and fatherhood are also under attack by another stream in our culture that preaches and argues that women are most feminine the more manly they are. To, to say it another way, the more manly, the more a woman desires to lead the home, the more a woman desires to fall and fulfill all the responsibilities that a man is called to fulfill, the more feminine they are. Now, Think about that for a second. And yes, young ladies, on Father's Day, I encourage you this morning to pay close attention because you are being preached something that is not found in Scripture. Our culture today tells women that they ought to be men. And when they are men, that is when they are most feminine. This is exactly what Paul talks about in Romans chapter 1. There is a role reversal in our society as a result of sin. And these two attacks trickle down into the house of the Lord. So there are women who think that they can be pastors of churches and lead the church despite of what Scripture says. And then there are women who believe that they can be heads of the household despite of what Scripture says says. And so Paul begins to explain in this passage what God's divine design for the home is. And here's the main idea. God's divine design for the home is for husbands and fathers to lead the home, to be heads of the home, to lead the home as Christ leads his church. Men are called to lead the home because Christ leads the church. And we'll see this. Verses 21 through 24, husbands and fathers are called to be heads of the household. Verses 25 through 33, husbands and fathers are called to lead in love, in teaching, and in caring for their wives. And verses 6, 1 through 4, husbands and fathers are called to pastor their children in the home. And again, everything that I've just stated here is counter to culture. So this morning, wife, pay close attention. Young lady, pay close attention. Young man, pay close attention and begin to learn what God will call you and hold you accountable for once you get married, once you become a father. And obviously, husbands and fathers, pay close attention as most of these verses apply to us. So let us begin in verse 21. Here's what it says again. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, interesting that I would begin here because clearly we don't need to know too much grammar to realize that this is clearly pointing backwards. Now, most Bible translations get this passage right, but where they make the division of paragraphs I would argue, is incorrect. While verse 21 points backwards, it's also an introduction to the rest of the passage. So what I want you to see here with this participle is that the participle begins with submitting to one another. So what's a participle? Participles enhance main verbs and grammar. So let me give you an example. If I were to say, Henry exercises, that's the main verb, 
Henry exercises, and then I add three explanations or participles by running, hiking, and lifting weights. Those participles are enhancing the main verb. In this passage, there's a main verb. Look with me at verse 18. How does one submit? Look at what verse 18 says. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. That's the main verb. You are to be filled with the Spirit. Here's Paul's point. In verse 19, those who are filled with the Spirit address one another in Psalms. In verse 20, Spirit-filled people and only Spirit-filled people can give thanks and prayer in every season. And in verse 21, only Spirit-filled people can submit to one another in the home. And of course, that is the question. What does Paul mean by submitting to one another? Feminist theologians and egalitarian theologians read verse 21 and say, oh, it's simple. What Paul is arguing here is that both men and women are called to be heads of the home, except that's a contradictory statement. How can there be two heads in the home? But also grammatically, it's a contradictory statement. The Greek verb here is hypotasso. It always refers to an order of rank. So here's what the the, the Greek dictionary, the BDAG, defines this verb as. It's a submissive relationship of subject to subordinate. There is a subject and there is a subordinate. To illustrate this better, if I were to enlist in the military... I am agreeing that in the military there are generals, admirals, and captains who are ahead of me in rank. They give orders, and I as a soldier or a private am to follow those orders. So if we go on the battlefield and the general says, all right, men, we're going to go conquer that hill, I can't go, well, general, that sounds like a good idea, but... You see those tanks up there and those high-powered machine guns and those men that are desperately trying to kill us? I don't like this conquering hill idea. I'm just going to sit this one out. No, I can't do that. When I enlist in the military, I'm understanding that my submission, my agreement is when general says, I do. This is the idea of verse 21. There is an order In the home. Now that gets cleared right away in verse 22. Why would Paul in verse 21 say that there are two heads in the church and then in verse 22 ask the wives to submit to husband? It makes no sense. Paul is talking about here that there is an agreement in the home that fathers are the heads of the household. And men, if you're taking notes this morning, women, if you're taking notes this morning, that is point number one. God's divine design is for men to lead the home, specifically husbands and fathers. Again, God's divine design is for husbands and fathers to lead the home. And so verse 22, Paul immediately clarifies what he means, and he says, wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Now, again, I need you to remember that this is all tying back to verse 18. So women, young ladies, wives, and mothers, if you hear this and you cringe, good, you should. Because in your flesh, 
And everything that this generation and this culture tells you is, no, women can be heads too. And the only way wives and future wives and mothers can long to submit to husbands in the home is not something that one does in their own natural self. It requires the Spirit's help. Wife, mother, young lady, you need the Spirit's help to embrace male headship. You cannot do it on your own. Now, why do I say this? Because rejection of male headship is actually a result of the fall. Look at Genesis 3.16. Here's what the word of the Lord says. This is the curse that God gives to women. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Now again, here, feminists and egalitarian theologians argue and say, Oh, see, he shall rule over you. Male headship is a result of the fall. In other words, as sin entered the world, men were called to be heads of women. Now, the problem with this interpretation is that these, these theologians then go on to say, but in Christ, the bondage of sin has been broken and this curse has been broken. In other words, what feminist theologians and egalitarian theologians argue is that this passage is teaching that once we're in Christ, women are called to be heads of the household. The problem, again, with that interpretation is there are two curses in this passage. And if we apply that interpretation, then here's what would happen. Picture a labor room. Picture two women, one Christian, one non-Christian, one in one room, the other in the other room, at the very same time giving birth. If this is true, here's what would happen. The non-Christian woman because she's not Christian, still under the curse of sin, would scream her lungs out as she's pushing out the baby, as the contractions are getting stronger and stronger. She'll scream in pain, but the Christian woman would be on TikTok and on Twitter and reading a magazine like, whoo, that was easy, except you can't fool me. I've been in that doom, gloom room three times, soon to be four times. But, but even for fathers, you know this well, it only takes one time to see as the contractions get stronger and stronger and the death look that wife gives you, right? Husband, that future mother gives you like, how dare you do this to me? How her strength increases like the Hulk as she grabs your arm and squeezes after the contractions get stronger and stronger. I mean, Samson ain't got nothing on her. Now, now look, man, my wife is as godly as they come. She is as God-fearing as they come. And even she experiences birth pains. So what is this really saying? It's not saying that male headship is the result of the fall. Here's the second problem with that interpretation. Male headship exists prior to the fall. God creates Adam first, male headship. He creates women from Adam, male headship. He creates Eve for Adam, male headship. She shall be his ideal 
helper. This is not going against Melchizedek. In fact, here's the curse of the fall. He says to the woman, your desire shall be for your husband. The desire is for women to be heads. That's the curse of the fall. Now let's put this to test. Think of what our culture preaches. Do non-Christian women have problems with men being heads of the household? Yes. Do they have problems preaching that women can be heads of the household? No. See, here's the point, ladies. You don't need the Spirit's help to submit to husband. I'm sorry, to not submit to husband. You don't need the Spirit's help to want to desire to be the head of your household. It takes the Spirit's help to want to submit to husband. And again, this is the point that Paul is making in Ephesians chapter 5. In your flesh, young lady, as you hear this, you should cringe. Wife and mother, you should cringe, but we need to understand that to be wives who submit, to be mothers who submit does not come natural as women. It comes with the Spirit's help. And so Paul clarifies this even more. As he goes on to say, wives are to submit to their own husbands as to the Lord. He begins with submitting as to the Lord. So I want to give you this example. Our culture says a dysfunctional home is a home that has one parent present with a bunch of children. That is what our culture would define as dysfunctional, or at least most of it. Christian culture says a, a dysfunctional home is a household that has two mothers, a household that has two fathers, or a household that has a single mom or father raising children. And while these things are true, what's not preached in our day is what Paul is preaching here. Paul says a dysfunctional home also includes mother and father where mother is the head of the household. You see, wives are called to submit to husbands as to the Lord. And so if the home is dysfunctional and wife is head of household, worship is also dysfunctional. There is a dysfunctional worship in the home. And this is important to understand. So Paul clarifies this. If, if you're still not convinced, look at verse 23. And 24, the husband is the head of wife, even as Christ is the head of the church's body and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their own husbands. Here's the point. This clarifies it. In the relationship in the church, Christ is head and the body follows the head. He is shepherd. We are sheep. He leads. We follow Christ does not need to ask me for permission to act. Christ does not need to go, Henry, what do you think about this? What do you think about Ephesians chapter 5? Do you agree? Should we erase it? Should we change it? No, Christ is head and the church follows. And likewise, there is a biblical divine design order in the home. So, so here's the point. If you believe in dominion theology where Christ needs to ask you permission to act, then you can reinterpret this verse. But that's a heresy. 
the main idea of Paul here is because Christ is head of church, there is a divine design in our ecclesiastical order, in our, in our ecclesiology. There is a divine design by God, and likewise, there is a divine design in the church and in the home. And so verse 24 finalizes this section with, wives are to submit in everything to their husbands. This is what biblical manhood, fatherhood, and womanhood looks like. Now again, the passage says, in everything. And here's something interesting. I know many wives who look at husbands and go, baby, baby, honey, bugaboo, I need you to pray more with the family. I need you to lead the home more spiritually. You should lead us in, in, in family devotionals and, and, and honey you should you should lead us in, in going to church on time and 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 in and in serving and, and they want women want men to lead spiritually but don't touch the budget seat the budget sheet don't 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 try to lead in other areas of of the home don't don't try to to to, to lead us in in career changes and in and in state changes and in moving and in buying and in selling. Don't don't lead us in those areas. Now, why is this important? Why spend so much time on relationships between husbands and wives? Here's why: because if husband isn't head of the household, he's also not father to his children. Mom is. If husband cannot lead in these areas, could it be that he does not lead in the spiritual side as well because wives don't allow him to lead anywhere else? And furthermore, Paul emphasizes this, that wives are to submit to their own husbands. Why? Because there are a lot of ladies that have no problem submitting to general manager at work who's male. They have no problem submitting to political figures and community leaders who are male in the community. They have no problem submitting to spiritual leaders and deacons and ministry leaders and elders and pastors in the church, but they have problems submitting to their own husbands. And this is why Paul clarifies this here. The right order begins at home. So the question for mothers and wives and young ladies, are you willing to submit to male headship? For the men, husbands, young men, and fathers who are listening, again, God's divine design is for us to lead in the home. What we've read here is this is God's divine design, and it begins with men leading the home as Christ leads the church. And here's the problem, men and fathers, as I now shift my attention to you. Our culture, our women, our wives and mothers reject male headship because men have done it wrong. They've done it incorrectly. They've turned male headship into something cold and ruthless and rooted in machismo instead of what Paul argues for here. So here's point number two. 
Yes, men are called to lead in the home as God's divine design. But in God's divine design, men and fathers are to lead in love, in teaching, and in caring. So here's what verse 25 says. Husband, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. You see the pattern. Yes, we lead because Christ is head of the church, but we are called to lead the way Christ leads his church. And it begins in love. We are to love like Christ. Now, if this was a marriage conference, I'd spend the rest of this time together talking about how, how Christology enhances our married life as husbands. But in the meantime, allow me to just simply say this. Christ loves giving himself up for the church. That means that husbands are to love sacrificially. They are to love by forgiving offenses. They are to love in humility. They are to love patiently. To, to trickle this down a little bit better, here's the question, Father. Here's the question, husband. Do you love sacrificially? Your best hours should not be given to your nine to five. They should be given your energy, your time. Your best hours should be given to your wife and children. Do you love sacrificially? Am I required to turn off sporting events and series that I want to watch and dare I say video games? And young men, you need to listen because this is your responsibility as you get older. There are a lot of men that don't know or, or young men that don't know what's expected of them because they don't get this example at home. Fathers are called to forgive as Christ does. So husband, father, do you forgive your wife and children and, 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 and forgive them genuinely or do you constantly remind them of their mistakes? Do you lead in love humbly? Do you help around the house or is that something that men just don't do? Don't give me a broom or a soap to wash some dishes. I'm the man of the house. Do we love humbly? Do we love patiently? When it comes to important decisions, are we patient with our wives and children? We are reminded here that Christ was patient until the hour had come. He did not die and rise from the grave too early. He did not rise, die and rise from the grave too late. He waited patiently for the hour to come. Do we lead patiently in love in our homes? But we're not just called to lead in love. We're called to lead by teaching. Verse 26 and 27 emphasizes that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Here's the second responsibility. Young man, this is why you need to have a devotional life now. Because you are responsible not just to teach your children, but you are responsible to teach your wife, to lead your wife in family devotionals. So here's a question. Husband, father, how holy is your wife? How godly is your wife? How modest is your wife? Do you pray for your wife? Do you get on your knees and plead for your wife? Do you encourage your wife to grow and serve in the Lord? Or are you the greatest hindrance 
to her relationship with the Lord. Now notice that we're not at the children's section yet. See, there are a lot of husbands and a lot of wives who think that teaching devotionals in the home are for fathers to children. No, it begins with husbands and wives. There are many wives that in devotional time, they check out. That in prayer time, they check out. Paul is saying there is a divine order and devotional time. Prayer time begins with husband and wife. And again, I need to ask you, husband, how holy is your wife? Why? Verse 28 says, and in the same way husbands should love their wives. In what way? Loving the way Christ loves the church and sanctifying wife the way Christ sanctifies the church through the word. And this is why my issue with women conferences in today's day is that everything is emotional health and mental health. And what women need is to learn what Titus 2, 3, and 4 says to them. What 1 Peter 3, 3 through 6 says to them on how to be modest, on how to be holy. And young ladies, you need to stop getting your fashion sense from culture and blogs and TikTok videos, and you need to embrace what the word of the Lord says for you. But there's one more call here. God's divine design isn't just for men to lead in love and to teach their wives. They are to care for their wives. Look at with me the rest of verse 28. They are to love their wives as their own bodies, he who loves his wife loves himself. Verse 29, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. The idea here is, think of a man or a woman who is trying to lose weight. All of a sudden, everything becomes important. The workout becomes important. How they eat becomes important. Even the amount of hours they sleep becomes important. Someone who's trying to lose weight is carefully caring for the health of their body. And what Paul is saying here is men ought to be the same way with their wives. And my fear is that this generation is raising children who are soft on the outside but cold on the inside because fathers don't care enough for their wives. Fathers are not attentive enough to their wives. So we're raising a bunch of children who are, and I don't mean to offend here, but a bunch of sissies on the outside. I don't want to go to the park. I'll just watch videos of kids going to the park. I don't want to work out. I'll just watch videos of people working out. And we're creating soft kids on the outside, but at the same time, their hearts are getting colder and colder and colder. And our call is, as we care for our wives, we show the strength of manhood on the outside, but the softness that it takes on the inside. As one cares for his body, father, men, husbands, we ought to care for our wives. And the Biblical mandate here is found in verse 31. Paul goes back to Genesis. The two become one flesh. The idea is my wife, the mother of my children, isn't simply someone that lives with me, that is next to me. She is me. We are one flesh. 
And the mystery is in verse 32. There is a mystery in marriage where husband and wife are one in everything, in, 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 in feeling, in, in, in decision-making, in spiritual leading. In this order of men being had and wives submitting, they are one and that same mystery exists in the church where church, the church, the body of Christ is united with Christ. And so verse 33 summarizes this section, and the passage reminds us, plain and simple, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. And again, on Father's Day, I'm spending most of my time addressing marriage relationship of husband and wife because this is what's under attack. Fatherhood and manhood are under attack, and our culture rejects this divine design. Our culture says, no, women can be heads too. It's not just men. Our culture says, no, women can fulfill the same responsibilities as men. And how quickly do we forget Genesis chapter 3? The moment Eve took lead and grabbed the fruit and gave to husband because the husband was not leading his household, everything fell Apart. And so, young lady, your call is as you get older to not embrace culture but to embrace this. Wives, mothers, we must teach this to our young ladies. We must spend hours and hours on Titus 2, 3, and 1 Peter chapter 3 teaching our women what our culture will not teach them. But the passage continues. Again, the point of these verses is God's divine design is for men to lead the home as Christ does the church. And we transition to our third point. Husbands and fathers are called to lead the home by pastoring their children. And again, I know what your thoughts are. Why start here? Why didn't you just start here? It's, it's, it's Father's Day. This is, this is the part of children and fathers. And again, I reiterate. Because if husband isn't head of wife, he's not father of children, mom is. Because if husband doesn't get the respect from his wife in this divine order, he won't get it from children. If husband doesn't pastor his wife as we've seen, cleansing her with the word, he won't do it with Children, there are husbands here who are not yet fathers, who may be planning to have fathers. And again, my question to you is, how's your devotional life with your wife? Because it begins there. And now Paul shifts to the family, submitting to one another. Look at the other order. Wives submit to husbands. Children submit to parents. And Paul says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Verse 2, honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with the promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. And just like it takes spirit-filled women to submit to husbands, guess what, young people? It takes spirit-filled children to obey their parents. You have to be Christian to obey your parents. In your nature, in your flesh, everything within you is to reject mom and dad's instructions. And it begins at a young age. I tell my kids, 
clean the room or do this. And their immediate response is, no, I don't want to do it. Rebellion comes natural to us. And this goes back to chapter 5. It takes spirit-filled children to obey and honor their parents. And my question to teenagers specifically is, do you obey mom and dad? Furthermore, do you honor mom and dad? It's interesting that this question is raised by Paul in the sense that he's commanding children to do this. And that with this command comes a blessing, not of long life in the earth, just simply a blessing that you are blessed as you obey your parents. Children are to obey their parents and honor them. And so, young lady, young man, I ask you this morning, what do your private messages look like? Do they reflect obedience to mother and father? Do they reflect honor to mother and father? In other words, does your lifestyle match the way your parents raised you, specifically those that have been raised in the church, which is a lot of you? Do you honor mother and father? We were just talking about this passage with the men in our men's Bible study this past week, and Pastor Ishmael was right on the money and emphasizing the greatest honor Young man, young lady, you can give your parents is in your service to the Lord. And it's not because I'm saying it. Paul says it here. Obey your parents in the Lord, for it is right. Everything in our culture says don't obey your parents in the Lord. The Bible is outdated. The Bible is for centuries ago. You need to get with the times, man. Wrong. Our greatest honor as teenagers is to obey our parents. And then Paul gives instructions to fathers in verse 4. One verse, three instructions. In God's divine design, there are four instructions for husbands to wives. There are three here for fathers to children. The first one is a negative. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. The second one is a positive, bring them up in the discipline. And the third one, in instruction, and again, notice, of the Lord. Everything is rooted in Scripture. This is why I read Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9, during the Scripture reading, because what Paul is saying here is that at the forefront of a divine design home, at the forefront of that is the Word of God. And how much men are willing to submit to it. And wives and mothers are willing to submit to it. And children are willing to submit to it. So men, instruction number one, are called not to anger their children. Now remember, husbands are called to love their wives. This is the same idea. That fathers are called to love their children not by angering them. And oftentimes, fathers discipline children but it's not in love, it's in anger. And my wife's probably cringing right now going, yeah, that's you, and she's right. It is me. And it's a lot of men here. We tend to discipline out of 
anger instead of out of love. And the idea here is that God is not against discipline. The point is that our discipline should not cause our children to be angry. Now, I want you to think about this. A lot of us had rough dads growing up who beat us with anything he could grab from power cords to wooden sticks to bricks. I'm just kidding, but, but you get the point. We, we got beat pretty bad. This generation doesn't know what beating is. You get timeouts, and if a father even looks at you negatively, you just call DCFS. So don't pretend like you know what I'm talking about. But, but the point here is, is that fathers are not to do that anyway. They are not to discipline and anger, and that's why there are many, many future fathers who grew up with rough fathers who are cold towards their earthly dads, who hate their earthly dads, and worst of all, have followed in the example of their earthly dads. They discipline their children in anger. Discipline is not meant to cause anger, but yet Paul says here, instruction number two, fathers, and this instruction is for fathers. The, the beginning of the verse starts with parents, but in verse 4, the instruction is pater. It's to fathers, specifically men of the household. Husbands, fathers are to discipline their children, but this discipline is meant to grow them, to mature them. And here again, fathers, I need to address you. So many of our boys do not know their future responsibilities and they're wasting their lives away because there is no father who disciplines. There is no father who trains. And this discipline isn't just a correction discipline. It's part of it. But there are no fathers maturing young boys. There are no fathers teaching young men responsibilities. In fact, I know a bunch of fathers who fill out applications for their boys who are in their 20s when they apply for a job. When they apply for college, they call, they do the interview through the phone instead of their children. We are babying our sons and that's why they're not ready to face this world. They're not ready to be men in the world. And our instruction here is we are to discipline and train up and mature our men, our boys, our young teenagers. We ought to teach them the responsibility that is ahead, but not just teach it, we are to model it. And then verse 3 is clear, you raise your children in the Lord. It is the father's responsibility, just like the husband, not just to teach wife the word of God, but you are to sanctify your children with the word of God. So here is my exhortation to us fathers this morning. Our culture is teaching young ladies that having babies is a burden. Just read quotes from former female presidents uh, or wives of former presidents in the United States. Read quotes of famous actors who say, I committed an abortion because if I had child, that would crush my dreams. This is what our women are being taught, and we need men and mothers to teach what the Bible teaches in Psalms 127, 3-5, that children are not a burden. They are an inheritance of the Lord. They are a blessing from the Lord. Our culture is teaching our young men not to grow up, to be babied. And we need fathers to grab our young men and train them in the Lord and teach them what their responsibility is in the Lord. 
And so the question is, fathers, are you raising your children in the Lord? Are you raising your daughters and your sons and teaching them what their responsibilities are as future husbands, fathers, wives, and mothers? And again, here I finish with this. The problem in our culture is a lot of men grew up with harsh fathers, and we're continuing to model that behavior instead of what the Bible instructs us here as God's divine design. Furthermore, there are a lot of guys like myself who grew up with absentee dads, and we've used that as an excuse. Oh, I never matured because I just didn't have dad at home. And so I'm excused from that wrong. We've got the word. We may not have had an earthly father, but we have a perfect heavenly father. And so if you want to learn how to be a right father, a good father, you don't look at your earthly one for an example. You look at your heavenly one. We cannot use these things as an excuse. We need to study these passages that we just read. But men, I need to remind you of one thing. Leading as heads of households, leading in love, in, in, in teaching and in caring, leading our children and pastoring our children does not come natural in our flesh. It too requires to be filled with the Spirit. It too requires the help from the Lord. Notice what Paul does not say. I want to finish Father's Day addressing women. In this divine design of men to lead the house like Christ leads the church, not once does Paul say what our culture says. Paul never says that that diminishes the dignity of women like our culture does. Paul never says that biblical manhood and fatherhood and headship makes women less than. What Paul says simply is, it raises the responsibility of husband and fathers. Notice the pattern. Two instruction for wives. In verse 22, wives are to submit. In verse 33, wives are to respect. Two instructions for children. In chapter 6, verse 1, children are to obey. In chapter 6, verse 2, they are to honor their parents. Two instruction for wives. Two instructions for children. This does not diminish their value, like our culture says. This does not make them less. It just means this is their re responsibility in the divine order. But look at the instructions for husbands. They are to be heads, verse 23. They are to love, verse 25. They are to sanctify with the word, verse 26. They are to care for their wives, verse 28. They are not to anger their children. They are to discipline and they are to instruct their children. There are seven responsibilities for men, fathers, and husbands, and combine women and children only four. You, you get the point here. It's not that men are more valuable as being heads. It's that husband and father, you are more accountable to the Lord. You don't believe me, I'll remind you again of Genesis chapter 3. When Adam sinned, although Eve initiated the sin by taking the fruit and giving to husband, who did God address first? Did that make Eve less? Did that make her less valuable? No, she was still created in the image of God. But God addressed Adam first because he was responsible. Husband, you are responsible as king, priest, and prophet of your home to lead the house like Christ leads the church. 
young man, train yourself up. Learn what it means to be king, priest, and prophet as Christ is to the church so that when you become husband and father, you can lead correctly. And I end with this. I want to remind you that this divine order of men and fathers, husbands being heads of the household, the way Christ leads the church is not something that we can do in our flesh. It requires the Holy Spirit's help. So as we prepare for our benediction, children, check your hearts this morning. Do you obey and honor your parents? Wives, check your hearts this morning. Do you submit to husband and fathers and husbands? Do you lead the house like Christ has called us to lead the way he leads the church?